Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. My name is Tony, and I'm happy to be with you. And if today is your first time visiting, if you're checking us out for the first time, a very special welcome. Thank you for spending your Sunday with us. So if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we're wrapping up our message series today called Me and My Big Mouth. And what we learned in week one, we learned from James, the brother of Jesus, and he told us that we need to be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And it sounds so simple, but it's not so easy. We also learned from James, and this was a little bit disappointing, that we're never going to get control of our mouth. Our mouth is always going to get us in trouble. It's going to get us in trouble with our friends, with our family, in business. So we're always going to have to keep our mouth guarded because our words are powerful. Our words can build someone up or break someone down. We also learn that our words actually carry weight. In other words, the words of a parent to a child carries much more weight than a friend to a friend. And then last week, we looked at a passage from the Apostle Paul where Paul said, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful and encouraging to people. Paul recommended that when we get into a conversation with someone, we have to view it like it's a construction site. Things are being built. When somebody leaves that conversation, we better make sure that person feels like we built them up. And that's just good advice. You don't have to be a Christian to think that's good advice. If everybody on Long Island did that, we'd be in a much, much better place. And then Paul touched on, lastly, what might be the root for some of us. Why our mouths get us in trouble. And it's not because of something that's going on right now. It's because of something that happened long ago. Maybe something that happened to you in high school. Somebody said something to you. Somebody said something about you. Somebody spoke over you. And you've never gotten over it. And it hurts you. And you're carrying around this hurt. And Paul tells us that we need to get rid of all bitterness. And the way to do that is through forgiveness. And the reason why this is all important, why we're talking about it this morning, because you know what hurt people do? They hurt people. And bullied people have a tendency to bully people. Neglected kids turn into demanding parents, and on and on and on it goes. And maybe this is your story, or maybe you know someone who this has happened to. See, there's a kind of hurt from our past that gives us this desire to want to hurt other people. But here's the good news. If you put in the work, if I put in the work, if we all put in the work, we have an opportunity to be heroes in our own story. Because at some point in everyone's life, and you've heard this saying, what goes around comes around. And the powerless find themselves in a position of power. And how you use your words in that very moment 
says everything about you. So this morning, we're going to dive into and look at a story in the Bible. It's a little personal to me. If you've seen me before, I've touched on this story before. I always seem to land on this story. It's actually the first Broadway show I ever saw. When I was about 10 or 11, somebody took me to a Broadway show, and it was this story. And here I am 40-plus years later, and I'm preaching on it. So if you've read the Bible before, it's not long that you start in Genesis that you land and meet a man by the name of Abraham. Now God appeared to Abraham, or God spoke to Abraham, and he told Abraham that through him and his whole family, he was going to create a great nation. And the whole world would be blessed through Abraham's family. And it took a little bit of time, but Abraham eventually had a son, and his son's name was Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, and one of those sons was named Jacob. And so far, not looking like a big nation. But Jacob, he had 12 sons. And now you can see that a few more generations like that, and we're starting to build a small nation. But here's the interesting part of God's promise. God's entire promise to Abraham hinged on the words from one person. God's entire plan for our salvation came down to one single word from one single person. And that person was Jacob's son, and his name was Joseph. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Joseph was born to Jacob late in life. He never thought he could have more kids. So Joseph ended up becoming his favorite. And Joseph was the kind of kid that his father would send out to check up on his brothers. And this made his brothers resent him. They hated him. And one day, Joseph, Jacob said to Joseph, go check on your brothers, report back to me. And as the brothers saw Joseph coming from the distance, they had it. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. They said, you know what? We're done. We can't have our younger brother continue to check up on us. We got to get rid of him. So when Joseph got there, they stripped him of his clothing, they threw him in a pit, and they waited to kill him. But before they did that, they had to sit down and eat. This is Genesis 37. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So change in plans, right? They get a change of heart. They realize, hey, this is our brother, and we got to try to cover up this crime. That's going to be too messy. So instead, let's sell him off, and we'll put some silver in our pocket. And that's exactly what they did. They sold their own brother. And keep in mind, Joseph at this point in life, he's 17 years old. He's terrified. As far as he's concerned, 
he's never going to see his brothers again. And for the brothers, they wave goodbye. They don't think they'll ever see Joseph ever again. We continue. This is Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So Joseph gets sold to Potiphar, but he realizes that right in the middle that God is with him, and the author makes it known that God was with Joseph. And you're probably thinking the same thing. If the Lord is with someone, shouldn't good things be happening? If the Lord was with Joseph, shouldn't Joseph be home? His brothers would be enslaved. Joseph's done nothing wrong. But the takeaway is that Joseph chose to live his life as a person that God was with. He decided to live as if God was with him, not that God had abandoned him. Now, eventually, Potiphar starts to notice Joseph. He's a good-looking kid. He gets his work done. And as the years go by, he starts to give Joseph more and more responsibility. And before long, Joseph is running Potiphar's whole house. It's amazing. This slave boy is now running his whole house. But Potiphar wasn't the only one who noticed Joseph. Mrs. Potiphar, she noticed Joseph too. And she wanted to sleep with him. And every single day, she seduced him. And every single day, Joseph resisted. Until one day, she made an advance and he resisted. And she had had it too. And she was insulted. And she went to her husband and she said, Joseph tried to rape me. And this left Potiphar no choice. And here's what Potiphar did. This is Genesis 39. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Once again, the author takes a minute to tell us that the Lord was with Joseph. And it's probably a good point to stop and remember that bad things have been happening to good people for a long time. But God has been with good people during bad times for a long time as well. And we need to remember that when we're going through bad times. So Joseph's in prison. He's a favorite of the warden, which gives him some special privileges, and he seems to know everybody in prison. And he met two people there. One was a cupbearer, and the other was a baker. And they both had previously worked for Pharaoh and fell out of favor, and they were sentenced to prison. And one day Joseph runs into both of them, and he could see something was on their minds. And he asked them what was wrong, and they said, we both had these very vivid dreams last night, and we discussed them this morning. 
but we don't know what these dreams mean. And Joseph said, you know what? I've had experience with this. I've been known to interpret a dream or two. Why don't you tell me the dream? And they did. And for the baker, not such good news. Joseph tells the baker that your dream means that in three days, you're going to be impaled. You're not going free. But for the cupbearer, he's got great news. For the cupbearer, he says, your dream means that within three days, you're going to be restored back to your position with Pharaoh. And the cupbearer is elated. He can't believe the news that he's heard. And Joseph says to him, do me a favor. Make me one promise. When you're free, when you're back with Pharaoh, tell him my story. Tell everybody that I'm here and I'm an innocent man. Tell everybody I got kidnapped. I don't deserve to be here and I want to be free. And the cupbearer said, absolutely. Anything you want, you got my word. Days later when the cupbearer is free, he forgets Joseph. He forgot all about Joseph. And for some of us, maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel forgotten this morning. Maybe somebody promised something to you. They haven't come through. That's exactly how Joseph felt, forgotten. And as the years went by, he probably felt that this was his lot in life. He was going to remain in prison. But day after day, Joseph continued to live his life as if God was with him. And then one day, Pharaoh had these series of dreams. And these were vivid dreams. These were the kind of dreams that he knew something bad was coming. And he called everybody in his kingdom, the wisest people. He told the dream and said, what does it mean? And nobody knew. And then the cupbearer remembered. And this had to be an awkward conversation. Have you ever had a time when something embarrassing happened to you? And maybe you just kind of left it behind and you never wanted to revisit it. The cupbearer had to tell Pharaoh, hey, um, do you remember that time we fell out of favor and you sent me to prison? And it's not a big deal, but I was down there. I met someone down there. And that guy told me that I would be restored. And here's exactly what Pharaoh does. This is Genesis 41. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I heard, I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Now keep in mind, Pharaoh believes he's a god. And Joseph says one of the bravest things. He says, I can't do it, but my God can. My God is the God. 
and he can put your mind at ease. So Pharaoh explains the dream to Joseph, and Joseph says, I immediately know what it is. For seven years, we're going to have great prosperity here in Egypt, and we're going to grow so much grain, we're not going to know what to do with it. And people are going to make so much money, it's going to be one of the greatest times in history. But after those seven years, we're going to have seven terrible years. There's going to be a terrible famine. It's going to be so bad that people are going to forget all the money they made. People are going to forget all the grain they had. So we're going to have seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. And then Joseph goes as far as saying, you know what? I got a plan. Here's what you should do. You should put somebody in charge of all the grain so that for the first seven years, when we're having all this prosperity, you tax the people 20% of all the grain they grow. And you take that grain and you store it throughout the countryside. And you put somebody in charge of guarding that stuff so that when the famine hits, you can charge people to buy the grain. And here's Pharaoh's response. This is Genesis 41. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Joseph just became the second most powerful person in Egypt. This young boy who was sold into slavery just became the second most powerful person. And everything that he went through at this point in his life has prepared him for what's about to happen. Because now he has to save a nation. And when the famine hits and Jacob's family is starving, he tells his boys, go to Egypt and go buy some grain so we won't starve. And now the stage is set and the fortunes have been reversed. And what do you think the chances are that they're going to run into Joseph? It's actually pretty good because I know the end of the story. This is Genesis 42. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all people, it was to him his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. They don't recognize Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph because they hadn't seen him in probably 20 years. As far as they're concerned, 
This is the second most powerful person on the planet. But Joseph remembers everything. Joseph never forgot. And here's the question I want to revisit from earlier. What do you do when someone that hurt you is now in front of you and they need you? What do you do when you're holding all the cards? And the answer depends on what you've done with your bitterness. Because if you're still angry, if you haven't taken that bitterness and put it to the curb, then you'll be exactly like the person that you don't like. Exactly. Now, eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And when that happens, they're terrified. They believe that Joseph is going to do exactly what they did to him, or maybe even worse. But Joseph has always lived as if God was with him. Joseph wasn't carrying around bitterness. Joseph forgave his brothers. And even years later, when Jacob passed away, the brothers really believed, that's it. Dad's gone. That's what Joseph was waiting for. Now, Joseph is going to take revenge. They really believed that. And here's what they did. This is Genesis 50. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Now, if the story ended right there, nobody would blame Joseph for enslaving his brothers. But here's what Joseph does. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I a God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking to them kindly. Look, you'll never have an opportunity to appreciate the good unless during the bad times you're living your life as if God is with you. And then when the good times come, you refuse to play God. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. And Joseph knows God is bigger than that. God may have been silent, but God was never still. God may have seemed far away, but God was always working in the background. And here's the thing. One day, someday, the person that hurts you is going to be right in front of you, and they're going to need you. And in that moment, you're going to remember everything they did. It's all going to come running back at you. And in that moment, God is going to ask you to remember who was with you. 
And then you have a decision to make. Are you going to get even? Are you going to pay them back? Or are you going to use your words to pave the way forward for them? This morning when you leave, let's remember the lessons we learned in this message series. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Remember that our words are powerful. Our words can build people up or break them down. Let's remember to take bitterness and leave it at the curb. Let's learn to forgive. And I pray this morning that when that day comes and someone is in front of you, that you take your lead from the one who gave you his life, not the one you feel took life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you as always for the opportunity to be here, to worship you, to learn, to praise you. And Father, I pray this morning that when we have to use our words, when we have to speak to someone that hurt us, we remember the story of Joseph. Lord, I pray that through his life, we would, we would remember how powerful our words are. And that even though you may have seemed silent, Lord, we know that you're always moving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.